values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. The El Mirage Police Department have identified the people that were accused of trying to enter a school building. So let me lay out what happened if you haven't heard the story. In El Mirage, the police were called and the school was locked down because of an active person with a weapon trying to get onto the campus and get in the schools. Parents found out about what was going on and they tried to enter the school and push past the police. A fight ensued. One woman ended up, I think it was a woman, got ended up being tased. Uh, someone was armed, turned out, I think, to be a posse member that was there, was what was in plain clothes, and it turned into an adversarial situation between police and between the parents that were obviously after Uvalde and what you saw at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where police failed to respond uh, efficiently. Um, parents were concerned, and I, as a parent, you would say, nothing would stop me from getting into that school. As a law enforcement officer, you see it a bit differently. So I wanted to bring somebody on that's an expert in this area. I spent over 30 years with the FBI, is a professor at the Embry-Riddle College of Business Security and Intelligence, but in this capacity, his company called Tripwire Security Solutions, making plans for these events. He joins us now. His name is Steve Hooper. Steve, let me ask you, um, looking at this situation that happened in El Mirage, is there something that can be done between the parents and the community at large and police departments in a conversation beforehand that can maybe lay out the roles and prevent a situation like this from happening again? Uh, good morning, Mike. Um, yeah, certainly. And this is one of the things we talk about with, uh, when we train and, uh, and speak at, at these schools is to talk about a process. And this comes down to things like policies and procedures. And those need to be hardened and, 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 uh, and adhered to and trained on. It can't be just a, a, a binder on a shelf. So what are the policies and procedures? And then those policies and procedures, and and in those policies and procedures, there should be, you know, a notification of police, notification of parents, so forth and so on, a checklist of mandatory actions to be taken during a lockdown drill. It's not just about students hide under the desks and doors are locked. It's about notifications. There's a whole process that needs to be established. And then that needs to be communicated. So one thing we do with our schools is, and we're doing it uh, tomorrow night, uh, meeting with all the parents at the beginning of uh, the school semester. And all the parents are herded into a large area, and we get up and speak and talk about the policy, the procedures, and the training that we've provided to their school. It's their school. And what we've provided to their school on how things will work. And that way, no one shows up. And, and, you know, are we surprised after Uvalde that this type of reaction, because you you said at the, the beginning, you know, parents are, were screaming at the TV, they wouldn't stop me from getting in. Well, now here's one put into practice, and there's at least a couple of parents that say, I said I wouldn't be stopped, and I'm not going to be. And so, but if they are community, if that communication is provided at the beginning on the how the security procedure works, you can sometimes uh, ward off or mitigate these types of reactions from parents if they understand before they respond. And I think part of that understanding is, you know, for a, you're the you're the law enforcement officer with the you're the one with the history of law enforcement experience. 
putting an officer in a predicament, in a parent that means well for their child, especially if it's an armed parent. When a police officer is in that confrontation mode, neutralize the threat mode, how do you ascertain if that's the person that's dangerous or that's someone there to help law enforcement? Isn't that the big danger? Mike, that's the age-old question and the age-old issue about, you know, in, in Arizona, it's a uh, it's an open carry state and you get people concealed carry. You you go into a, a grocery store and, the, and, and there's a, a, some sort of event that requires you to that that causes you to pull your gun. Well, now the cops come in and how are they supposed to identify who the good guy, bad guy is. And, that, and that's an issue you have to be understand if you are someone a responsible, as you always refer to, if you're a responsible gun owner, you plan for things like that. And so that's a great point. The, the cops show up if a parent happened to be dropping something off at the school and they get the word and then they decide I'm just going to charge in there and, and and save lives and then the cops show up and a parent is in there um, now you've got uh, a problem so um, I, I think part of it too when we train for a crisis management team one of the things we emphasize is their the school's relationship with the police department did quote unquote the police show up or did someone who knows the crisis manager at the school show up. If that's the case, then you know someone with the police department and that person, that officer that is connected to your school because you've reached out and said, we want a personal relationship with a couple of police officers that patrol our particular area and bring them to that fall presentation where they stand up there with you as the crisis manager and talk to the parents and assure them that if there's a shooter in the school, we will go in. We will go in. You don't have to worry about the Uvalde thing. We will go in. We're trained to go in. It's what we do. One of the... I'm sorry let to interrupt. Know what the policies and that's right, and let them know what the policy and procedure is for an active shooter or just a lockdown. And see that as simple as this is. When my girls were young, um, we had a rule in the house: if the burglar alarm goes off in the middle of the night, nobody leaves their bedroom except for me, mm-hmm. because you don't want to. As simple as that plan is, everybody understood that ahead of time. If if it were up to you, would school districts across this country have a meeting at the beginning mm-hmm. of the school year where the parents attended in an orient? And it was explained to them, you know, God forbid there's a crisis like this on our campus. Here is our plan and procedures that you can trust in. And you're going to if you if you deviate from this, you become more of a, of a liability than you are an asset. Absolutely. I think it's a critical piece. We see it as twofold. One, it gives parents peace of mind. They understand, wow, they're taking this safety and security Seriously, they don't just have some lockdown drill twice a year and, and to check a block. They're actually taking it seriously. They brought us in and explained it all to us. The second thing is it benefits the school. If you're a parent and trying to decide what school to send your kid to and you find out that they have this process and policy and procedure and program in relationship with the police department and takes security seriously, then you probably will, um, in today's world, most parents will say, that's the school I want to go to. So if, uh, and I think there's such a wealth of information on your website, if there are organizations out there, and it doesn't have to be schools, but if there are organizations out there that want to learn more about this threat assessment and preparedness uh, from your company, how do they find you guys? 
Well, our website is tripwiresecuritysolutions.com. And they can go there uh, on uh, the uh, and look at the website. There's the email and cell phone number is on the website and a bio about uh, us and everything we can do for training and uh, and uh, presentations for yeah. your business or your school. I've had people uh, say to me after you've been on the show, man, that is one of the smartest guys I've ever heard. And I have to remind them, uh, you're not even the smartest person in your house. Um, right. That, right. that you're partners with your wife in this, and she has over. 20 years experience in this area as well and, and that's why you guys are such a wealth of information and I appreciate you both very very much sure thank you very much alright that is Steve Hooper and uh, a wealth of information it's a serious topic and I can see both sides of this issue I can honestly see why the cops were trying to stop these parents from going in but you look at what happened in Uvalde and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and you cannot blame a parent for trying to go in and save their child how do you prevent that kind of an adversarial situation that communication I think this is going to be a wake up call and I think a lot of school districts are going to have to do this in conjunction with law enforcement in conjunction with the parents so Everyone is on the same page and feels comfortable with the procedures. Um, And I want to thank Steve for coming on. In a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. It's called Did You Hear This? We're going to do it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, busy news day as always. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. New water cuts are coming. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation has declared a Tier 2 water shortage. Arizona will now be bumped to 21% reduction from the Colorado River claim. Is there an ideal plan in your head to tackle this? Mm, well, not in the short term. The short term plan, there is really no big short. There is no short term plan. Desal and uh, piping water, pumping water possibly, and bringing a pipeline from maybe the Mississippi River. We're talking years and years for that to happen. The problem that is with many people in this is that Arizona has done a very good job of water management, better than our neighbors. We've done a much better job than California. They are thought of being environmentalists in California. But if you look at what has been set in place with former Senator John Kyle and others and local people, the governors, and of course the local uh, politicians, the local elected officials, Arizona has done a very good job of water management, retention. So we're paying a price because of the agreement, but we're the ones that have done better than others. This is going to hurt farmers and ranchers first and most. It's probably not going to affect a lot of you watering your lawns or home usage, but they're going to feel it. Farmers and ranchers and food's already expensive and in short supply. So this could add to that problem and the cost of food. On Friday, an elementary school in El Mirage went on lockdown. And while on lockdown, a suspicious package was found. And then parents started showing up. With tensions already heightened, more family members started to arrive. That's when investigators tell us several of them tried to push past officers and get into the building. A fight broke out. A man's gun fell out of his waistband. I mean, the parties involved were named yesterday, but you're a parent and an also huge law enforcement supporter. So how do you reconcile a moment like this? We just had Steve Hooper on, and I think the answer has got to be communication. I don't think, I think law enforcement understands the passion in a parent. And I and after what happened in Uvalde and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in South Florida, we understand that law enforcement in the past hasn't always done their job. So everyone can understand what was going through the minds of those parents. So I think first and foremost that happened. But at the same time, law enforcement understands there has to be effective control of the situation 
situation. And parents have to know that law enforcement in Arizona is not Uvalde, Texas. That if necessary, when necessary, God forbid, never, but if necessary, they're going in, they're going to neutralize the threat, and parents will be more of a hindrance than they are a help if they try to jump in the middle of that. And if that meeting can happen before the school year where everybody's confident in the plan, that takes away a lot of this fear. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. Yesterday, the FBI had another Operation Cross-Country Raid. The FBI located 84 victims of child sex trafficking and sexual exploitation, with the average age being 15 years old and the youngest victim, 11. 37 missing children were also found in the operation. FBI is having a pretty rough week with some. Do you think this will help put the agency in perspective? I think it will. I, I think that, you know, right now there's going to be people that when they look at this overreach, they understand it's a bureaucratic overreach, that people in the field are not people generally. They follow orders. They don't give them. But this is the kind of work the FBI is known for. And I think that these kinds of things will help quell some of the fears and some of the anger. But at the same time, there needs to be policy changes at the top. And I think that until that happens and people can see real policy changes or transparency, which might uh, might alleviate some things as well, there's going to be some rough edges. A 99-year-old woman who grew up as an only child and applied to be a nun while she was in high school has welcomed her 100th great-grandchild. I wanted to have a big family. Um, I think it's difficult being an only child. It's lonely. So while in high school, the man who ended up being her husband ended up talking her out of becoming a nun Mm -hmm. to where they've had 11 kids, 56 grandchildren, and now number 100 in the next generation. Do you hope to be a great-grandparent of 100? Yeah, I don't know about 100, but um, I love being a grandparent. So being a great-grandparent, hopefully I'm going to live long enough to see that day happen. She said I always wanted a large family. Talk about mission accomplished. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) No kidding. And kudos to her husband for talking her out of being a nun. One. 100 great grandkids. And I'm glad you clarified that because when you said she applied to be a nun and she ended up with grandkids, I thought, uh oh, where is this story going? Exactly. Congratulations. 99 years old with 100 grandkids. That's a very, very cool way to end this segment. All right, that is, uh, did you hear this for this week or for the today? We'll do it again tomorrow. In a moment, your chance to jump on board with us. It is the continuation of the, of the Giveathon for Phoenix Children's Hospital. Stick around. The Giveathon for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Giveathon on the Mike Broomhead Show. It is the Giveathon, and we appreciate you spending some time with the show. And especially when we have these segments of the show, we get to tell you about the great news and the things that are happening at Phoenix Children's. Not all these stories have a happy ending, but these stories are also meaningful and impactful about these families. We've got a lot of people to thank here in just a couple of moments. As all week long, along with our friends at, at Arizona Sports, we will be raising money for Phoenix Children's Hospital. As I said before, it takes corporate partners and individuals like you to jump on board. It costs almost $2.7 million per day to operate. Operate Phoenix Children's Hospital. Before we give you an opportunity to donate, let's get another check presentation from American Textile Recycling Services. 
All right, talking now with Robbie Milner, the market team manager of American Textile Recycling Services. Robbie, thank you so much for being here to talk a little bit about Phoenix Children's Hospital. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You and your company have been involved with the Giveathon for a few years now. About how long has it been? Um, it's been about six years. And what inspired you to start that partnership? One of the reasons why the company was started was that the owners wanted to be involved with the community. They wanted to give back to the community and they wanted to give people second chances. Mm. So, um, you know, and I had a personal connection to the Phoenix Children's Hospital. Um, my daughter was there for a while. She was treated there for about three years. It was it was nothing major. She was just having some growth issues. And so we would take her down uh, once a month for a couple of years and they would treat her. And it was, it was a great experience. So the Milner family connection grows because of the experience you had with Absolutely. your daughter. That is tremendous. Well, Robbie, I know you have a big check that yep. you're waiting to present. Would you mind sharing what the amount on that check is? Um, yes, it's $25,000. And it's really thanks to the community. You know, the generous donations next month in our association will reach the $500,000 uh, level that we have contributed to the Phoenix Children's Hospital. Wow. So that's a great milestone for us. That's amazing. I can sense you're getting a little emotional when you say that. $500,000. It's a lot of money. It's really been tremendous. Well, thank you, Robbie. To you, thanks to American Textile Recycling Services and the way that you have galvanized the community to give back to such a tremendous cause. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. What an inspirational story of giving and a big thank you to them for a $25,000 donation. We are doing this and I want you to know why. I want you to hear another reason why this is happening. Imagining a child. Um, uh, this is another one of our stories of hope from Madame Holmes. A week before her due date, Linda's mom learned her unborn daughter had an extremely rare genetic condition which affected the development of, of the skeletal and reproductive systems. Children that are diagnosed with this rarely live past their first year, and if they do, they're usually on life support. But not this fighter. This is Linda's story. I had been admitted for signs and symptoms of preeclampsia, and I was at 38 weeks. They came in, they told us that uh, Linda was more than likely not going to make it, and, you know, asked us if we had chosen a name, to which I said, I was like, yes, uh, her name is Linda. And they said, that's great, because it, it usually makes the grieving process a lot easier. Sorry, my OBGYN decided that that, she, that we were going to have to be induced so that I would be giving birth on my due date, December 25th. Asked my family for a moment. So I went into my bedroom, I closed the door, and I started rubbing my tummy, and I started praying. This child is not mine. This child is yours. And if you allow me to borrow her, we're waiting for her. Around 3, 3.30, I started feeling everything again. <laughs> the doctor said it's time to push. And they had told us, they were like, they were the one thing that we're looking for is if she can cry. Because the moment she cries, it means that she made it. Because with campomelic dysplasia, the rib cage will either so compact and tight that first breath of air, uh, they can't. Or it'll be so glass-like and fragile that when they take that first breath of air, the, the rib cage sh shatters 
15 minutes is all it took 15 minutes and at 4.30 I gave birth they bring over an incubator with uh, this tiny peanut in it <laughs> and they're like look this is your daughter and I'm seeing her through this glass and I told her I was like Linda you hang on in there they told me that she wasn't going to make it past the birthing stage she did um, they said her prognosis was a year she's now eight they told me that she shouldn't really be moving or really doing much of anything that she was going to be in pretty much a vegetative state they told me that she wasn't probably going to be able to eat right now we're finally decreasing her formula feeds and her doctors are hoping that we will eventually be able to wing off that ng tube and she's eating she's eating foods of all types they told me that she wasn't going to be able to really move or have much mobility linda started crawling last august she's still wheelchair bound but man should you see her in that wheelchair she enjoys popping wheelies looking and seeing fast cars and to her in her wheelchair she'll say i go vroom vroom <laughs> Every specialist there, they're just amazing at having levels of compassion, of, of empathy. They're not just trying to solve our problems, they're trying to work with us to find a solution. Again, life with her, it's had its challenges, and there are more, more often than not, we have to make adaptations. But she doesn't really see herself as different. Or if she does, she doesn't show it. <laughs> Just an amazing story of courage, but also overcoming and what Phoenix Children's is able to do when those children are so strong and the parents are prayerful. And it's just another great success story from Phoenix Children's Hospital. Right now, that is the match music. That means right now, any donation you make is going to be matched. You're going to double your investment right now if you donate. Call 602-933-4567. That's 602-933-4567. Or a very easy, convenient way to donate is to text the word GIVE to 411923. You'll get a link you can give right from your smartphone. Just text the word GIVE to 411923. It is amazing. All right. How about this? Uh, we have doubled, more than doubled yesterday. This doesn't include what you're donating right now. We have donated as of right now $384,177. Congratulations. That is an incredible number. Um, just this morning on this show, Debbie has donated $500, Harry donated $250, uh, Cornell $100, Karen $50, Miguel $240. Um, it is because of people like you that are willing to step up. We have the call center is right here at KTAR. It's not at the hospital. There are people right now in the room, right out, not very far from the studio, that have volunteered their time to answer your phone calls. Now is the time to donate. Double your investment. 602-933-4567. That's 602 602- and a big thank you to everyone. One more time before we close it out, we're going to talk about the economy because the president is getting ready to sign a big bill. That's coming up next. Strong Values.
news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. A few minutes we have left. A little programming note, 1230. The President of the United States uh, signs the Inflation Reduction Act into law. We will carry that live here at KTAR News. Download the KTAR News app. You'll be notified when things like that happen. If it's happening on the air, you can just click the link and listen online. If it's to a story, you can go to KTAR.com. The news app is truly the only news app I have on my phone. It really is that good. All right, the Congressional Budget Office. Let's go through what's in this Inflation Reduction Act. Um, It's called the Inflation Reduction Act, but... Uh, the bill will lower inflation is the claim. No, it will probably increase inflation or probably not affect it at all. That's according to the Congressional Budget Office. All right. This bill will reduce the deficit. Nope. Uh, that's not what the models show. The bill will raise the GDP. And now the latest is the CBO predicts that this will raise or cause more audits on working families, the working class families. This, to me, is the biggest part of this. Um, every one of us knows we have to pay our taxes. Every one of us knows that every, you should pay something to live in this great country. The tax code in America is a mess. More than half the country isn't going to pay income taxes. With the COVID relief and the things that came in, there are people that aren't paying anything to live in this great country. And if you look at the numbers, for all of you out there that thinks the deficit reduction and getting us back on track with a balanced budget happens by taxing the rich. If we had the ability as a nation to take 100% of the money from every billionaire on the planet, on the planet, not just the U.S., we would not solve our problem. That's how much debt we have. This is going to be something that every American is going to have to deal with. And the reason why I'm passionate about this is, you know, I've got kids and grandkids. My kids are struggling. They're adults. But i got grandkids. And what are we going to hand them? Hopefully, by the time my grandkids are in the workforce and they're the leaders of the next generation, I'll be retired. I'll be living out my days, probably trying to figure out how I'm going to waste my time all day long and bored. But that's where I figure I'm going to be. And what are we handing them? Are we going to hand them debt it's like owning a family business that's been passed down by generations. And when it's your turn to pass it on to your children and your grandchildren, it's so much in debt that they aren't making a profit. They are barely squeaking by. They've got to figure out what to do with this immense debt. What this is doing and calling it the Inflation Reduction Act is a joke. And this is where even people on the left side of the aisle are beginning to figure out that it shouldn't have been called this. What this is is a Climate Change and Healthcare Act. That's what it is. And on the health care thing, capping the cost for Medicaid recipients, not a bad idea, is it? To try to make sure that people that are on Medicare and Medicaid are able to pay their bills and not have to worry about being bankrupted because of medication costs. But the other stuff in this health care thing, the negotiation is going to make it worse. The prediction from the Congressional Budget Office is in the long run, it's going to cost Americans. It's going to cost you more for health care. So instead of looking at the devils in the details, it's we need to get something done. So the president, my prediction is the president of the United States is going to come out today and talk about the great things this is going to do. And they are going to say, I will say emphatically, that this is the biggest investment in climate change that this country has ever made. And I would respectfully say, A, I don't agree with it. But even if I did agree with it, the timing is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. The American economy is not doing well other than our jobs reports are going really well. I'm sorry. Manufacturing has dropped 
Home startups, new home buildings have dropped. We are hearing everyone prediction, predict at least a mild recession, if not a full-blown recession. The words hard landing are being thrown around quite a bit now. This is not the time to be taxing the job creators. But this is that, that rich versus poor class warfare argument continues. And this is what's wrong. Even if you agree that these corporations should be paying more, fine. But look where the spending's going and look what's happening and even the CBO, the nonpartisan CBO, says it is not going to help inflation and it's going to make audits more prevalent for working class families. Is that what you thought it was when you supported it? If not, your voice should be heard. Social media users, again, I am at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter. Mike Broomhead, all one word, on Instagram. And a big thank you to all the people that donated at the Giveathon. If you haven't, you'll have chances throughout the day. Make sure you donate. Have a great day, everyone. God bless.